Well, after our talk last Sunday, did any of you have time this past week to enjoy some R&R, some rest and relaxation? Anybody? Maybe? Some? All right, good, good. It's, we, we talked about last week how it's great when we get this, right? This time to rest and, and relax, this time to unwind. One of my favorite times during the week is Sunday right after lunch. That is one of the designated times in our house that we have to rest. On Sunday afternoons, we make it a point to set aside time to unwind and recharge as a family. We love it, and you should designate time to do that as well. Well, this morning, we're going to be talking once again about the rest that God provides for us in Jesus and about how Jesus provides an even greater rest. We are picking up where we left off last week in the first part of Hebrews chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there now. Hebrews 4. We're continuing our sermon series this morning through the book of Hebrews, and we've been talking about the fact that the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of Jewish Christians who we have said are restless. They are restless and they are drifting from the faith. And the author of Hebrews is writing to them here in Hebrews chapter 4, telling them that God has this rest that he has promised to you and made available to you through Jesus. And he does that to motivate them to keep trusting and keep believing and to stay on the hard but right path and not drift. And believers, we we looked at this text last week. We're going to look at it again this morning. And I hope you see again this morning that this rest that is talked about here in Hebrews 4 has been promised to us and has been made available to us. And that's good news, believers, because we need it don't we? We need it. More than we need rest physically, we need rest spiritually for our weary souls. Whether we acknowledge it or not, we all crave this rest that God brings through Jesus. And we we learn here in Hebrews 4 again that Jesus provides an even greater rest for us. Now, before we, we jump back in, I need to do a little in a way of review. It's important to keep in mind, first, talked about this last week, but it's important to keep in mind that when we talk about the rest that God provides, the word rest used here is a metaphor for salvation. It's very, very important that you realize that or you'll miss the main point of this passage of Scripture. It's also important that you realize that there is a past, present, and future aspect to this rest, to this salvation. The moment we acknowledge that we are sinners before God and we turn from that sin, we forsake that sin, we look to Christ, we bow the knee to King Jesus, at that moment, we move from 
being guilty of sin to not guilty but righteous in Christ. And the fancy 25-cent theological term for that is justification. We are justified. We are made right in the past, believers, when we give our life up and over to Jesus. That's the past aspect of salvation. Scripture is clear, however, that there is also a a present aspect to our salvation. Scripture is clear that if you are a, a true believer, you have a newfound desire to grow in godliness and be more like Jesus. You have this desire for God that he gives you and you live a new life that flows from your new heart. That's the work that's to be taking place in the present, in your life, believers. The fancy 25-cent theological term for that is sanctification. refers to our growing in godliness. That's what the Bible means when we read phrases like being saved. It's our growth in godliness as believers. There's also a future aspect to our salvation, to this rest that God has made available to us through Jesus. This is yet to happen, believers, but will for all of us who are trusting in Jesus. There is coming a day when those of us who have been justified, those of us who have been made right with God, those of us who are being sanctified, those of us who are growing in godliness will be glorified. That's the fancy 25-cent theological term for our future salvation. There's a time when coming when we are going to be made like Jesus in every way. We're going to be made perfect. That's going to happen when Jesus returns. We're told that when he returns, when we see him as he is, we will be changed. We're going to be made perfect. We're going to be given new bodies fit for eternity that will be imperishable and honorable and glorious and powerful and perfect. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians 15. But the Bible talks about all of these things. God has no problem in his word talking about the fact that we have been saved or being saved and will be saved. He has no problem in his word talking about the fact that there is a past aspect, a present aspect, and a future aspect to our salvation. And we said last week it's important for us to understand this when we study Hebrews chapter 4 because in the first few verses of Hebrews 4, the writer goes back and forth talking about our past rest, our past salvation, and our present and future rest, which can make this passage a bit challenging. If you were out last week and you have not heard the sermon from last week, I encourage you to get online, listen to our sermon, or subscribe to our new podcast and listen to it. It'll really help you with the sermon today, so be sure and do that. In the passage we looked at last week, the one we're going to look at this morning, we see several key principles about God's rest that lead us to this main truth in in Scripture that Jesus provides an even greater rest. Four principles about God's rest. We looked at two last week. We're going to look at those again briefly in review, and then we're going to look at two more, and then we'll be done. Last week we said the first principle we see from this passage of Scripture about God's rest is that we should be continually seeking to enter God's rest. 
We as believers should be continually seeking God's rest. This is something we should be diligently seeking, believers. God's people should be people who are seeking God's rest. They should be people who are pursuing God's rest. The writer says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So this chapter begins with another warning. We see these warnings all throughout Hebrews. The word therefore connects us back to what has been said in the previous passage in Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3, the writer of Hebrews used the example of the Israelites in the wilderness after being delivered from Egyptian bondage to remind his Jewish audience of the fact that most of them, the Israelites, after being delivered from Egyptian bondage, they died in the wilderness. They perished before they reached God's land of promise. And the reason why is because of their unbelief. He says, remember, many of the Israelites did not enter God's rest. They did not enter into God's land of promise. They perished in the wilderness. And the reason why is because they did not believe God. They did not have faith. And the author is is using the unbelieving Israelites as an example to warn his audience. He's saying they didn't believe, and they perished in light of that, you keep believing. Let us keep believing. Let us not drift. Let us keep trusting. Keep believing and persevere. Let us be diligent to enter God's rest. Notice he says, let us fear. The word fear is the Greek word phobos. It's where we get our word phobia. He's talking about a legitimate fear here. He says, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach God's rest. Now we talked last week, we have said throughout this study that the writer of Hebrews is writing for the most part to believers here. If you question that, you have to question whether or not the author of Hebrews is a believer because he includes himself in this statement. He says, let us fear. He says, God's rest, his salvation has been made available to us through Jesus. So let us fear that we may not enter it so that we will not fail to reach it. So that we will persevere. The writer of Hebrews wants his readers to question their commitment to Christ. He doesn't want them to question God and his promises, and the truth of his gospel, but he wants them to examine their commitment to Christ and his gospel. And we said last week, that's not always a bad thing. We don't need to be plagued with doubt, but having doubt, having questions, is not always a bad thing. It could be a good thing, a really good thing. Listen, questions can lead to answers, and answers lead to an even greater assurance. Right? You see how that works? questioning our commitment and examining ourselves to make sure we're in Christ and trusting in him. It helps us as believers also grow 
in godliness, it's good to examine, it's good to question so that we keep pursuing Jesus and keep following hard after him and keep clinging to him. At times, it makes us more mindful of our need in Christ. It increases our faith and our trust in him so that we become more confident in him so that we have an even greater assurance. Fear can move us to keep being diligent, to keep believing, keep trusting in the Lord. It can help us persevere. Another way to persevere, he tells us, is to work, to strive, to enter God's rest. We looked at that last week. Skip down to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. Notice what he says here. He says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, what sort of disobedience is he talking about? He's talking about the disobedience of the Jews in the wilderness after they were delivered from Egyptian bondage. They did not strive to enter God's rest that he had provided for them because they did not believe God. They did not trust in his promises. And the author of Hebrews, once again, is telling his Christian audience, don't be like them. You guys work, strive to enter his rest. Don't you fall by the same sort of disobedience as they did. Strive, keep trusting, keep believing, put in the work. Though it is God who works in you, both the willing to do, as Paul says in Philippians 2, you work out what he is working in you. Work out your salvation. Strive with intense effort and motivation. That's what the word strive means. Strive to enter God's rest so that you do not fall by the same sort of disobedience that the unbelieving Jews in the wilderness fell prey to. Now look back up in verse 2. He continues using the Israelites as an example. He says, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. He says here, The good news of being made right with God and being forgiven of sin, being restored to a right relationship with God came to them same as it came to us. But he says, when the Jews in the wilderness heard it, heard that message, that gospel message, it didn't benefit them. You know why? They didn't believe. It didn't benefit them. It can't benefit you if you don't believe it, right? And receive it. They didn't believe God. They didn't have faith in Him and His gospel. They did not believe. They rejected Him and turned away from Him. We're told they set their hearts back toward Egypt, away from God's man, away from God Himself. The author of Hebrews is saying here, you guys, you're in a similar place in that this message, this gospel message, this good news that they rejected, it has come to you. You have believed it. The Israelites did not. They perished in the wilderness. They did not enter God's rest. The writer of Hebrews is giving them a warning here. He's saying we need to learn from their mistake and make sure we're not treating this message, God's gospel message, as they did. They did not believe. They were not united with 
God's true people with the community of faith. He's saying, don't be like them. You have believed, keep believing. You have responded, keep responding to this gospel message. Keep trusting in it. Keep believing in it. Be united in faith in Christ with your fellow believers. Stay on this path together. That's what he's saying, okay? So this is the first principle we looked at last week concerning God's rest. We learn here that we should be diligent to keep pursuing and seeking God's rest. Here's the second point. Second principle we learned about God's rest is that we should be confident about having entered God's rest. Look at verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest. When you believe in Christ... You enter God's rest. And we enter by what? By believing, right? By faith alone. That's, that point's made over and over again throughout Scripture. He says, you who have believed, that's past tense, enter God's rest, present tense. So follow me here. We see two things from these first three verses of Scripture. And these two things sound sort of contradictory, though they're not. In verse 1, we're told that we need to keep seeking God's rest. And here in verse 3, we learn, we who have believed enter God's rest. When you give your life up and over to Jesus, when you forsake your sin, you bow the knee to King Jesus, you're forgiven of sin. You're made right with God. You're at peace with Him. So we have entered God's rest, right? Those of us who have believed through faith alone. But we are also to continue trusting in Christ and to continue believing in Him and pursuing Him in the present to enter God's rest in the future. Follow me? We're dealing with two different aspects of salvation here. What's happened in the past and what is happening at present and what's going to happen in the future. Though we have been made right with God in the past by faith alone, we are currently growing in godliness present, and one day we'll be made like Christ and we'll be made complete and live in a glorious physical and spiritual existence with our Lord alongside other believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ, in His presence forever in the future. That is yet to come. So there is this already and not yet aspect to our salvation, which is why the author here provides assurance while also giving motivation so that the believers of his day would persevere in the faith. The author of Hebrews here wants his readers to be encouraged and confident about who they are in Christ, but also wants to motivate them to live for him, to not stray, to keep working, keep striving, and keep pursuing godliness. He wants them to do both. He wants you to do both, believers. He wants you to be confident and to strive, to know you're secure and to persevere, to examine yourselves and to have assurance. And we said this last week, when you do that, when you examine yourself and when you strive and work when it comes to your salvation, as you do that, that desire that you have and that work that you put in and that fruit that comes out as a result gives you evidence that God is working in you, which brings a greater assurance. See how all that works together? See the wisdom of God in that, don't we? I believe that's what God is, is aiming at. 
passages like this one. He wants his people, true believers, to feel secure, but also to endure. He wants them to be assured of salvation, but also to persevere. So that's what we learned last week, all right? It's a pretty lengthy recap, isn't it? First two principles about God's rest that lead us to understand that Jesus provides an even greater rest is we're to be continually seeking to enter God's rest and we are also to be confident about having entered God's rest. Third principle we learn from this passage of scripture about God's rest is this. God's rest is available today. God's rest is available today. I believe this is the main point of verses 3 through 10 of Hebrews 4. Now, if you read verses 3 through 8, if you read ahead, you read this in the past few weeks, you may be scratching your head a bit at what he's saying here. I mean, this is a tough passage to understand at first glance. So let's read it together. Let's look at it together and break it down. Starting in verse 3, he says this, For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. All right, clear as mud? Let's look at it together. First, you need to understand this. The author here is talking about God's Sabbath rest. And notice he's looking back to the past, back to the exodus, to the Jews' deliverance from Egypt to talk about this Sabbath rest. He also looks further back to creation, and he looks to Joshua leading God's people into the land of promise. Then he looks ahead to David, and then he looks to the present. And I believe he's doing all of this to make the point that God's Sabbath rest has been made available to an extent throughout history. To an extent, God's rest has been made available throughout history by God and in a much superior way today through Jesus. But get this, it has not yet been fully and completely experienced. Now, I want you to notice first when God's Sabbath rest began. Did it begin with Moses? When he received the the law from God, the Big Ten, remember commandment number four was that his people were to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And they began to set aside the seventh day each Saturday to refrain from work and to rest and worship. Listen, though the receiving of the law was significant, this Sabbath rest did not begin with Moses. And the author also makes the point that the Sabbath rest was not completely experienced when Joshua finally led God's people into the land of promise. Many often think that that was the time when God's Sabbath rest was was 
fully experienced and fulfilled. They, they believe that is the time when God's people were finally and completely at rest. They were finished with wandering through the wilderness and were finally at rest in the promised land. But notice the author says in verse 8, that if Joshua would have led them to a state of complete rest, David would not have needed to say what he said later on. In Psalm 95, that's the psalm that's quoted here by the author of Hebrews, he quotes David here, and he says, David offers up an invitation into God's rest and gives warning to those who don't enter his rest. If God's people were finally and completely at rest in Joshua's day, there will be no reason for David to make this appeal and the author of Hebrews to make this appeal and us to make this appeal of entering into God's rest. If those in Joshua's day were finally and completely at rest, Notice the writer of Hebrews takes David's words and he speaks them to his audience. And I believe we're meant to do that today as well. He encourages those in his audience to enter God's rest. He says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He's using David's words there. So Sabbath rest, get this, was not started with Moses... And the author makes the point that it was not completely experienced by Joshua and the Jews in the land of promise. Notice we're reminded again that that some did not enter that rest after Moses led them out toward the land of promise. And God's rest was spoken of later again by David and also by the author of Hebrews and is to be spoken by us today, which shows that this Sabbath rest has not been completely experienced. But get this. I want you to hear this. There was a time in the past when it was. Did you know that? There was a time in the past when God's Sabbath rest was completely experienced. Look at verse 4. We're told that God rested on the seventh day. When are we told that? Not just in Hebrews. At the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 2. After God was through with creation, we're told that he rested. Look at Genesis 2, 1 through 3 up on the screen. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So we're told here that Sabbath rest began after God was finished creating, right? When he had finished his work, we're told God rested on the seventh day, not because he was tired. He didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because everything was finished. Everything was right and good. The world was the way it was supposed to be. And folks, believe me, there was complete rest at this time. The world was the way it was supposed to be. Man lived in right relationship with God under his authority and creation was under man's authority and creation was not unruly but completely subservient to man. There was nothing wrong in the world. Everything was right. No sadness, no sickness, no death. Man lived in right relationship with God and with each other as he ruled over creation. Man enjoyed 
the finished work of God and was a partaker of that rest with God. But something happened, right? Man threw it all away. He rejected God's rule and reign. He went at life on his own. As a result of man's fall, man was thrown down and thrown out of the garden paradise. He was separated from God. The earth was cursed. God's perfect creation was ruined and wrecked because of sin. And that perfect rest that was experienced before the fall was lost. Not completely, but it was ruined. It was done away with for a time. But instead of tossing man aside, washing his hands of us in the world in which he created, we're, cho- we're, we're told that God got to work again, didn't he? God chose to accomplish another work, a greater work, a superior work on our behalf so that we could have a second chance at paradise with him again. He sent his son, amen? He sent God the Son, Christ came and he lived for us and died for us and was raised for us so that we, through faith alone, in him alone, could be forgiven of sin and be made right with God and enter into this rest once again. And not just for a time, not on a trial basis like Adam and Eve, but forever because of Christ, because of who he is and because of his accomplished work. Jesus provides for us a greater rest. And that rest is available today. God has made it available. After the fall, he has made it available to us. It's been available to his people throughout history, and it's available to us today. Look at verses 9 and 10. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. That rest that man experienced with God before the fall is able to be experienced by us today through Jesus. We are able to enter into, back into, a right relationship with God. We can rest. We can be at rest from our works, believers. Non-believers, you can be at rest from your works, your strivings. Believers, one day we're going to be at rest from our strivings and our growth and godliness one day in the future. You can move from, from being set against God as His enemies to being children of His through faith in His Son, Jesus. That's the point. There is a Sabbath rest. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, it's still future, right? It's in the future, this Sabbath rest. Notice the author says there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Though we have entered God's rest by faith alone in Christ alone and we have been forgiven of sin and we've been made right with God, there is a future rest that is coming when Christ returns and completely restores paradise, but that is yet to come. How do we enter that rest? Look back up in verse 3 again. By faith alone, in Christ alone. We have to become 
God's kingdom people. We have to become his children through faith alone in his son alone. The author of Hebrews says, those who believe enter that rest. That rest is available today, but only for God's kingdom people by faith. And that leads us to our last point this morning. Only God's kingdom people will enter God's rest. Listen, though God has this rest that he has made available to all, there are people who will not experience his rest. The only people, again, who will experience his rest, verse 3, are those who believe. Those who place their faith alone in Christ alone. Those are God's people, and only those people enter God's rest. Look at verse 9 again. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And who knows who God's people are? There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Who knows who God's people are? God does, and we should if we are. That's the point of the end of this passage. Skip down to verses 12 through 13. This is a very familiar passage of Scripture, a very popular passage. You've probably heard it preached at times, maybe outside of the context of Hebrews 4, but when you put it in the context of Hebrews 4, it changes things a little bit. Context is, is key. Notice what he says here. You, you'll recognize this passage. Many of you will. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This here is another warning passage. This familiar passage that you've known, you've read, you've probably studied through. It's a warning passage here at the end. The author of Hebrews makes it clear, only God's people will enter God's rest. And God knows who those people are. So he's giving this warning here, make sure you know you are. Make sure you belong to him so that you can enter God's rest. That's the intent here at the end of this passage. The author knows that there is this temptation among some to fake people out fake others out, to put on a show, to fake God out when it comes to who his people are and who they're not and try to appear as if we're God's people when we may not be. Some people try to do this by attending church, maybe coming to Bible study, making sure their heads are bowed during prayer, making sure they sing when the songs are being sung and dropping money into the offering box as they leave. We try to appear as if we're God's people. Some do. And they think that's good enough to enter God's rest. The author makes it clear here, you can't fake God out. He knows our heart. He says, no creature is hidden from his sight. We are all naked and exposed before God, before the one to whom we must give an account. He knows who are his and he knows who are not. And there is no way we are faking him out. So we better make sure that we belong to him. That we're trusting in his son alone for salvation so that we enter his rest. And how can we know that? How can we know that we are his through his word? Through his word, 
the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, makes it clear where we stand and whether or not we are right with God. Notice the passage again. He says, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of morrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Notice God's word here is referred to as being living and active. This book that you and I have that we bring with us each week that we encourage you to read each and every day is a living word. It's more than just a, it's more than simply a a book filled with stories with heartfelt messages. It's not a book filled with just a list of do's and don'ts. It is a living and life-changing word. It doesn't just inform our minds, it shapes our lives. It exposes us when we are out of line spiritually, and it edifies us believers. And guess what? This word has done this throughout history and is doing this today. God is doing this work today through his word. The word of God is living, and it gives life to those who believe in it, and it condemns those who reject it. The word of God is also sharp. Sharper than any double-edged sword, meaning it penetrates through the outer man and reveals what lies deep inside. God does this through his word. One of the questions I ask our girls during Bible study, one of our catechism questions is, can you see God? And they respond with no, but he sees me. And then I ask, does God know all things? And they say, yes. You can't hide anything from God. Guess what? We cannot hide from God, and we cannot hide from our true selves when we seriously study His Word. He uses His Word to expose us, not just our outward actions, but our thoughts and the condition of our hearts. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. He says, the word of God reveals what's deep inside of us and lays everything open. It makes the finest division, exposing everything, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. And that's why we open God's word each and every week and why we encourage you to study God's word. We don't want to avoid this. We want you to be exposed in this way. We want God to do this work and reveal what lies deep inside of you. What's going on in here and in here, we want God to bring that out and to expose that. That's why we open God's Word. That's why we study through God's Word. That's why we send study guides home for you to study through God's Word. That's why in our Bible studies we go through God's Word. That's why we encourage you each and every week to read God's Word and study God's Word with your family. We want you to be exposed. We want God to use His Word through His Spirit to show what lies deep inside so there are no pretenders here so that you know where you stand or where you don't spiritually. That's what we want to happen here. Where do you stand today? Maybe God's made it clear where you stand from his word. 
Maybe you're here this morning and God has made it clear to you that you have not entered his rest. You have not been forgiven of your sin. You have not been made right with God through Jesus because you're not trusting in him alone for your salvation. And he has made it clear that you are set against him in your sin. If God has shown this to you, my prayer for you this morning is that you would respond to that work that he's doing deep down inside of you and you would turn from your sin and make Christ your Lord. Now's the time to respond to this work that he's doing. And I pray you would today and be saved. Let's pray.